Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 99. I'm Jeremy and I'm joined this week with my two co-hosts live from the great state of Toronto, Edwin of Kerwin's Game Shop and Travis Allen of MTG Price and MTG Fast Finance. This cast is always sponsored by CoolStuffing.com, your number one place for all of your Magic the Gathering needs and GatheringMagic.com, your number one place for Magic the Gathering content. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet May 35% buy list bonus. We hope you will shop with them soon. How are you guys doing this week? Going deaf in my left ear. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize Jeremy started his own auction site. <laughs> Welcome to Cartel. You look so uncomfortable. You're like, oh, hi, guys. For those of you who may not be watching this video stream, we are currently streaming live from a hotel room in Toronto where I am dressed like a girl who paint me like one of your French girls or whatever it's called. Uh, we have a lot to talk about this week, including nothing, so we'll get this cast underway. Guys, Battle Bond was just spoiled. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. I... Uh, You're first here, buddy. Come I, on. Right. Um, we, How do what, you feel about Battle Bond? <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. You present a question. Um, <laughs> oh, God. This is going to be a hard cast. Um, do we have any information other than the duels? They spoil two cards that search for each other. Yeah, oh, they're like the partner. The weird yeah. partner mechanic. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is one of those things where... It will be very similar to conspiracy. The my experience with there, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at Jeremy behind me. Uh, I just want to point out: no one has had alcohol tonight. No alcohol. Wait, what? What? No. no oh, I'm sorry. I take that back. There was one drink. Uh, what time was it? It is 10:30. Four hours ago. Um, like conspiracy and conspiracy two. Two. They're both pretty novel at the time. It was fun to do the multiplayer draft where you. Um, where you have like the wall mechanic or the draft matters mechanics, but for a lot of people, the novelty wore off pretty fast. I'm a little worried that Battle Bond will kind of follow follow some of trend because people might be, oh, I can find a friend draft for you know an afternoon, and it's like I'm done with Battle Bond now, and which led to actually some pretty interesting market trends with a lot of the conspiracy stuff. Um, the most noble, the most noble one for people who played the first conspiracy was like Dak Fade, and that was the real winner because mm -hmm. there was such a shortage on how people actually played conspiracy and draft a conspiracy um, that foil Dak Fade was like six hundred dollars at one point. It was just so. I remember two fifty. Was it where foils actually six? It they climbed pretty fast um, because once people discovered that cards is vintage playable, then that kind of exploded. Conspiracy two, the major ones. Uh, Labeled was one that um, just kind of crept under radar, did nothing. No one knew about it, no one pre-ordered. And then once it got out there, Legacy Playable, then that exploded. Uh, Savala was is a big one. The foil is like $125 now or something. Obviously, that, like, that's EDH powerhouse. Uh, we've kind of seen other smaller like cards that have done well expropriate. The foil was very expensive briefly it's kind of fallen down but it's impossible to find that uh foil down that card mm -hmm. is just probably like one of the best blue cards you can do in edh i imagine battle bond will 
have kind of a similar pattern. Everyone's going to be trying to find these cards that might be good in Legacy due to some weird mechanic. Um, I just tweeted out that we're live. Oh, okay. Speaking of which, are you monitoring the chat for this? Is anyone monitoring the so chat? Last week, I want to know if there's like if there's an audio problem. Are we going to know? So shout out last week to everyone who asked questions and then no one read them. Uh, I believe uh, De Devin from Atlanta asked like thirty questions throughout the podcast and then got mad when nobody decided to read the live stream like I normally do. Oh, so good job, guys. That's what happens when I'm not here. I have access to nothing. I just show up every week. So you can't get upset at me for ignoring your questions because I don't know where they come in. I don't see them. I can't log into anything. I show up to cast like right when it starts. Because that's when I leave the store. So All right. Well, I'll assume one of you is watching the chat here yeah, so we know if there's an audio problem. I, I agree with Ed. Battle Bond is going to be a flash in the pan for a lot of people, um, which means you're generally going to have low supply, which means the cards that are – good and interesting and useful that people want to play with are going to spike very hard because there's just not going to be enough supply out there to meet that demand. We saw it with Conspiracy, Conspiracy 2, um, the basics from the un... Uh, what are we on? Unstaged? Unstable? Unstable yeah. are extremely expensive because like they're the only cards anyone wants. Um, and given that this is clearly a... It's a two-headed giant format or product... So you're going to have cards that are geared towards multiplayer games, which is obviously your EDH crowd. Um, there's going to be a couple cards that do very well in EDH, and those cards and those foils especially are going to go sky high while everything else just kind of languishes. Um, and the other thing, interesting thing is if there's any sleepers that like don't get unlocked right away, so for instance, if some card comes out that's not playable yet, or like isn't good yet, but then something comes out later that makes it good, that stuff is going to go nuts because suddenly there will be a ton of demand and very little supply available for it. But yeah, I see very spiky prices on this set, not distributed at all. Right. And it's one of those things where they probably are hoping that does better better than what they anticipate. And like Conspiracy 2, like I think Conspiracy 2 finally went out, out of stock through distributors, which means that it was just available for like a solid like two and a half years after it was initially printed before the supply dried up to a point where, you know, they stopped selling it. You couldn't so. get it. And even now, like, you know, there's plenty of, if you have the coupon code or something, you can, uh, you can still get, get boxes like, you know, below 80, if, which, you know, like Doug has been on the cast and he's talked about before. Uh, and he tweets about it where he just finds like these insane deals because that's, he just buys boxes. Shout out to everyone in the live stream telling us that our audio is great. They want us to stand up next to each other to see how tall we are. <laughs> and uh, someone else says that um, Ed's wild hand talking is hard to dodge. So <laughs> I'm also curious, like, do you like take a picture of the back of our heads? Like, like, what, was someone, like what was that going on? Oh, we have a cartoon aristocrat Snapchat. What? We do? Yeah. Is it just your account? No, it's a different account. There's well, a, am I supposed to follow this? or? Yeah, like, we have customers to follow it. Oh. What gets, does he, do you use it? Yeah. What every do you, week. What do you tweet? What do you Snapchat? Uh, every week. What is the we verb for that? Is the verb for that Snapchat? Snap. What do you snap? Cartel. Okay. The more you know. So if you don't know, let me know because everyone knows, but then they don't know. I, I found know. out this week that we have a Facebook. <laughs> uh, wow, I am becoming increasingly disheartened. <laughs> Next question. No, but what is Jeremy's thought on Battle Bond? Um, oh. I don't like it as much as I like Conspiracy. 
Um, two-headed giant has always done really well at our shop, but talking to the 30-plus two-headed giant players that were there at FNM yesterday, none of them really cared. So they got to really do something to make it worthwhile or put a bunch of reprints in the set that'll be good. It does seem like there's been no conversation about it. Like, people talk about conspiracy and, like, unstable before they came out because they seem kind of cool, but, like, nobody seems to care about Battle Bond. Yeah. Maybe I'm talking to the wrong audience, but if your players aren't talking about it either, then, like... It's also been, like... There's also multiple products, right? I think, like, kind of the big... Uh... The big thing recently that they've talked about, like obviously this week, Friday was announcement day for, uh, was it like six months? Yeah, return to return to return to return to return to Ravnica. Yeah, to the return right of the battle to the return to the Ravnica. Well, yeah, so that was the big news. And last week was they announced Commander Anthologies. So there hasn't been a ton of window i guess for them to actually talk about battle one yeah. i assume they want to talk about things like mechanics we saw one mechanic in the the partner thing that where they search for each other but other than that we don't really know anything yeah like they're like it, it seems one of those things where it there's good design space but how how well are they gonna be able to implement it again because conspiracy was one of those things where these cards are cool and then it's like okay i'm getting kind of tired of you know Losing because my opponent gets to go first every time with that, that the, one. The, the draft conspiracy or whatever. So, I also expect. I mean, we can't guess at all. There's no point in guessing at what they will or won't include. But I right. would anticipate that they will dole out that design space sparingly because Rosewater has said before that complexity creep isn't the problem. It's or no, I got that backwards. Power creep isn't the problem. It's complexity creep and like running out of design space. So they try not to use it all at once. And since this is their first foray into two-headed giant world uh like official product i don't expect like anything too crazy because they're gonna save it up and try and use it down the road right ryan switzer you asked if anyone from cartel is going to scg minneapolis this next weekend um doug and i are going to gpdc and the other guys are staying home i will be in roanoke which is basically dc for something not magic related brendan wants to know what do you guys think about unstable foils that are not the lands uh, there's actually a market out there for uh, for silver foils. That's why a lot of the unhinged foils are actually monstrously expensive. One, but I mean that's a slightly different issue. Like they're hard to find. But when you say silver foils, you just mean silver bordered cards. Yeah. Foils. So yes. All of the unset cards. Yeah. Yes. Um, though they, that's always been a very popular set to collect, mainly because they, it has nothing to do with playability. But it, it, it's just it's just kind of a cool narrow thing. Um, like the chase in uh, Unstable is outside of the basics. It's getting the uh, Steve Flogger Boss and Foil, which is rarer than getting a Masterpiece, but people don't know about that. Um, that's like one of the challenges, similar to how uh, a Foil uh, Richard Garfield is extremely expensive. It's just oh, so... Oh, man, what are they worth now? 150 200 Oh, all right. That's, that's not that's as bad. bad. Uh, I sold an LP on TCG last week for 200 Okay. Okay, so they're like 250 yeah, I think I sold one for like fifty bucks, but that was—I <clears throat> don't know—I don't know what set was legal, but uh, they were doing three-set blocks, so it was a while ago, <laughs> right? And there's also the additional novelty and unstable of all the variations, right? Like trying to get five, six different cryptic commands. Oh yeah, yeah six different uh, like thingamajigs, right? All these d- different things, like four different. Uh, 
was extremely slow zombie. The winter one yeah. just being kind of the perennial favorite yeah. among like that <laughs> theme, right? Like Mishra's factory. factory. Yeah. Like that one is just obnoxiously expensive now. So uh, yeah, I don't, I guess I don't know anything about the foil prices. Like I don't know what they are for unstable cards. So I don't know whether to tell you they're good buys or not. I uh, really, I guess your only frame of reference would be to go back and look at unhinged and unglued and look at the price trajectory of those foils from launch or at least as far back as you can find data over the last several years and see if they've moved at all or not. Uh, and then see kind of where unstable's landing. You know, if they've just been trending up the whole time, then they're fine as a slow gainer. Um, the opportunity cost probably isn't worth it for the most part, but at least you know you're not going to lose money. But I don't know. Maybe they've, maybe unglued and unhinged is just flatlined for the last three or four years, at which point I would probably stay away from the unstable ones just because you don't know what they'll do. Uh, it kind of depends on your buying position and what your outs are. But I think for most people at home, it's probably not worth the time, but I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and look at the price graphs to say for sure. Yeah, you probably don't want to like actively seek them, but obviously don't throw them out. Well, sure. Right? Yeah. Like it's And it's probably like it's much better than just your conventional bulk or whatever. Yeah. And unlike... You know the master sets. They don't. It doesn't have the same like foil syndrome of every pack containing a foil, which just crushes the market on foils entirely, right? Most of them, uh, the multiplier on a lot of the foils, like the uh, the, the different variants or whatever. Those there's actually a decent multiplier on them again because of how hard they are to get, uh, relatively speaking. So, and you know there's there's no doubt that like a lot of these people probably just didn't care about, they just they are just opening the packs because they want the lands and they just completely disregard the rest of the pack. What are those Steamflogger bosses worth? Uh, I think it's like $80, $80 to $100. They were much higher originally. And I think once people, they, they're so extremely rare to find. I've only seen like two myself, but it's one of those things where visually it's not cool or different enough that people want to be paying like the three hundred dollars that they were when they when the set first came out. Yeah, because eighty bucks doesn't sound that expensive for one if it's rarer than a masterpiece. Right. But I guess there's probably like nobody that actually wants them. Right. There's only so many people that want to complete their sets, and once they've completed it, they don't need to buy another. Yeah. And then, like unlike a masterpiece, right? There's almost no utility to it. Yeah. It's simply this item is rare. It doesn't even look cool. It's just there's a uh, watermark inside the text box. Man, I could not stop yawning. Have you noticed? I'm, it's getting late. On it's to the next question. Next question. 11 o'clock. All right. That's a boring question. That's a boring question. Wow, you are so rude. TCG player asked me a question. Did you ship this order yet? <laughs> <laughs> All right. How have we grown from our beginnings in MTG Finance? Uh, it would be nice to hear the different sides. Jeremy and Ed versus Travis. Dear God. Versus how have we grown in MTG finance? Oh, it, 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 well, it, it hasn't grown. Yeah, I, I've other than like gray hairs, apparently. He, um, no, I wasn't talking about his height. <laughs> I was just saying he still does the same thing. Um, he just works in retail, and that's all he's been doing, and he's very successful at it. I do data analytics for Amazon, mind you. Yeah. That, 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 that's why I tell people when they ask. Um, <laughs> the only difference for me is like I expanded the high-end cards I deal with, where it's like the five to ten dollar cards used to be my bread and butter, and then I just cultivated an old-school following. And like, they're more lucrative, but it's also way more investment. Uh, 
I, I think the things I've learned the most is going from just doing this independently, like on a smaller scale by myself. I've learned a lot about like just working the retail aspects. Like it, it it's hard to pinpoint exactly, but it used to it used to seem much simpler, and now there's just so many more things. Uh, talking to different people from all levels, right? We have people like there are probably like Travis S people that I talk to in terms of, you know, you you do it for yourself. It's not your full-time job to, you know, people like Jeremy, myself, other store retailers where this is our full-time job and people who take it even a step further. And you're looking at like the like investor types of people who have very, very deep pockets, which are uh, more out there than I had ever imagined when I first started doing this. People like dropping money on nostalgia. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we can leave it at that. You're just like, there's countless assholes like this guy out there. They just swarm my booth all day long. Handing me their hard-earned money. <laughs> you referring to me. You're like, oh, I talked to a bunch of people like this asshole over here. What? You were talking to me. Talking to you. You're like, oh, there's a bunch of people like Travis over here. Like this jerk. You I, said I, that. You said that to me. Like, what? 30 seconds ago, you're like, oh, there's a bunch of people like you. No, no, no. I, I met... I... <laughs> I started by just binder grinding at my local store. Uh, that and, type of person. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got out by growing, I guess, essentially just, uh, aside from like the professional component of it, which was like starting to write for, for MTG Price and, and producing content in terms of my own activities, uh, I guess the core of my activities haven't changed too much. It's just the amount of money that I push into it has increased a little bit. When I started, I didn't really have a real job. I mean, I had a real job, but like it didn't pay that much. So, you know, I'm, I'm, my salary is a little better now. Plus I've built up, you know, some funds from flipping magic cards. It makes it easier to make larger purchases. Um, you know, nothing astronomical, but more than like 20 and $30 purchases, which I used to do, uh, you know, now I can afford to go deeper. Um, but essentially the same type of concept. I think I look more for uh, arbitrage opportunities as well. It's less pure speculation where I'm like, this is a card that looks good uh, and I'm going to buy a bunch of them in the hopes that it gets good. Uh, where now it's more like, well, the supply is really low. Um, I noticed that it's cheaper in this market than this market. Uh, a little more data driven, I guess. A little more, or I should say, more sure bets or things that feel more sure rather than just really swinging for the fences. Um, so yeah, just essentially smarter purchases with more money, I would say is how I've changed my behavior. And for our credit winner of the week, Yup Yuppers asks with all the activity in MTG finance lately, how do you guys go about following the price spikes? Is it like a first thing in the morning and last thing at night ordeal to ensure that your listings for prices are correct? Just to make sure you're not selling a now spike twenty dollar card for five dollars. Uh, well, if a card just spiked from five dollars to twenty dollars, and I was selling it, somebody bought it. <laughs> um, I, I think to kind of expand on what you were saying before, Jeremy just abruptly changed topics, and oh. to kind of and to kind of uh, to kind of elaborate on this as well. I think now, Magic Finance, there's just so much access to data compared to like when most of us got starts, like in the early like you know. 2010 to 2012 era or whenever Jeremy started like two years ago or whatever. He yeah. was still in diapers back in 2010. Oh. <laughs> um, 
Wait, could you? Jeremy could not get into R-rated movies when Ed and I were doing MTG Finance. Yep, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but back then, right, people weren't writing about like MTG stocks was not a thing. I believe TCG Player was still like Brain Burst at that point. Or ha- were they it- Brain? No, Brain Burst was a, se- is a separate website. Is it? Are you trying- wait Brain Burst or Black Blackborder dot com? Which one's the European one that Yuza used to write for? Blackborder. That was Blackborder.com, wasn't it? Yeah. I so that was around way back. Right. Was, was TCG Player not always TCG Player? I thought it was Brainburst before. Ah, now I have to look this up. Or I, look, I have to look up the website I'm thinking of. And there, there, was, there was a writer. I mean, there's, I think there's probably technically always been writers, but it's been a, there were only like one. There was like one guy writing. Right, right, right. So, you know, you had people like, like Medina probably started it. Like yeah. Quiet Speculation has obviously been around for a while. They had a... Blackboarder was one I'm thinking of. This okay. is a website I the, used to use. Yeah, the European website. Yeah. So they had, you know, their rights for it, but there was less, like, just data out there. Yeah. Well, like, this was before Crystal Commerce was a thing, right? Uh, selling, like, singles on Amazon was just not a thing. Selling magic on product on Amazon wasn't really a thing. Um there were far fewer stores, obviously. Um, spikes were much slower to... It, it, the market reacted much slower to spikes, mainly because the idea of buying out a card was just... did not exist. Supply was... People weren't quite aware of like how many different markets there were for things. No, uh, I, I had no idea about that. Right. Nobody had smartphones. Right. There were few and far between, and even right. if you had one, the data connection was slow, and you didn't necessarily know where to get accurate pricing data. Yep. So, like, you could be at home on Friday afternoon and find out some card was spiking, and show up at F and M, and you could be the only person there that knew. Right. And like, nobody would contest that. No one would even like think about it. So you'd be trading for every copy of like Parallel Lives in the room, and nobody would give it a second thought that that was odd. Yeah. <clears throat> that. That changed. <laughs> yeah, EDH was in its infancy at that point. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. So like, how, like how many cards have exploded simply because of EDH? The yeah. list is, you know, far greater than the the number of cards have become staples in older formats from when they were you know standard playable there. Um, but just the amount of data that's available has and the ease of it, right? That's probably yeah. that's that's yeah, probably it's very accessible. Yeah. Like if I can, I can log on to MTG stocks right now and just look at these cards are these cards are trending upwards, right? Yeah. Um, and that's probably what's led to the acceleration of how much like old school cards, masterpieces, all these things have just trended upwards so quickly. Um, it's very, uh, you know, Chapin wrote that article a long time ago about information cascades, uh, which he was certainly not the first person to come up with that idea, but he was. I think one of the people to make it broadly aware is a concept in magic, but those are much more, those occur much more now than they used to just because like, Oh, somebody bought out a reserve list card. So I should buy out another good one or I should buy these. And like, it just like casts ripples through the markets because we all see it instantly and have all that information. You didn't know that before. So like you could buy up all of the treacheries and like, nobody really knew right away. Like it wasn't obvious and like it wasn't expanding into other people making similar buys on other cards. I know there's groups of people that sell cards online and when a person buys out a card from them, they like tell other vendors and they see if the same person bought out that card. Um, 
I check Quiet Speculation Discord every morning and every night, and I check MTG stocks every morning and every night. And that's basically all I need. Yeah, that's roughly what I do. Yeah, usually I pull up like our uh, Crystal Commerce account and see like what the sales look like. Obviously, there's cards. The way we list cards doesn't provide a ton of data, but we can kind of tell. Like looking at logs, it provides valuable information between. Like I can look at card like when this was listed, when it sold, so like how long it took to sell, how quickly cards sell after prices get changed, etc. These things. So I look at I'm looking at Crystal Commerce. Just basically not stop over the course of the day. Usually I'll pull up like MTG stocks to see like, you know, what are the big trends. I'll pull up things like MCAM, Haruya, uh, various other websites across different markets to see like has anything reacted yet or like what has reacted overnight. Um, it, it mainly because they, they operate ahead of us, right? Yeah. Like the EU operates six hours ahead of, uh, of Eastern time. Right, Japan Standard Time is thirteen hours ahead, so they're they're a full a full to half day ahead, basically, um, so or half day behind. <laughs> sure, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, I I, yeah. I keep an eye on Twitter. It gives me some information when stuff is going on. Our group chat. Sometimes we talk about it. Uh, I also have to compile all that data for Finance Finance every week, so like I'm checking it at least once a week um, to see a lot of that stuff. Uh, Basically. And you can find our group chat at brainstormbrewery.com slash Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, it's the other way around. It's patreon.com slash. Yeah. There you go. We don't do that. You guys are welcome. This content's free, and that's why this quality of this specific podcast is so high tonight. Uh, so thank you, Yup Yupers, for the question. Uh, message us for your free $25 gift certificate. And if you want to win next week, stop tweeting at me asking where to leave the comment. Just leave it on gatheringmagic.com slash cartel aristocrats. And then we'll, you may win a $25 gift card. Asking a question on Twitter does not mean you're uh, entered into it. You have to ask it on Gathering Magic. And with that being said, let's move into Pick of the Week. Ed? Wait, what? Wait, oh, I can't do Pick of the Week. Well, I have no... I'm I'm looking them up while you two are talking most of the time. Right. That's how old episodes are. I uh, what 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 am I from just now? I don't think that is a good pick of the week. By underpriced power. So I guess we can talk a little about GB Toronto since you know we're here in Toronto. I haven't been on site yet, but sure. Okay. Okay. I guess I will talk about GP Toronto. Um. I did my usual get here Friday morning, scour, look for cheap things. Uh, okay, I guess I'm not going to talk about this. Great. Um, I did a rough count of just power that has existed in the room. On Friday, there were probably 45-ish pieces of power across nine vendors? Nine vendors? It actually seems low. I would expect more in the room. Uh, ten, 10 vendors, as I'm told. Um, so 4.5 power per vendor ish. Yeah. PPV. <laughs> PPV. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Um, so some vendors had a lot, but a lot of them I wouldn't consider to be relevant to discussion. I don't think like a random graded piece of power that's horrendously overpriced is relevant. Um, Channel Fireball had like five pieces. That's probably where most vendors were. Uh, some had some had more. I saw very low black border power. 
Um, I I think that's that's really an indication of like how hard it is to actually find black border power. Um, this is just further accelerated by the fact that people are trying to upgrade them. People are trying to catch on that power is undervalued. I think we we've talked about this like in the past two episodes. Everything trending upward suggests that. I, I think I think who's this do on Twitter? I think he mentioned that uh, a tabernacle can't be worth twice as much as a mox, and uh, it, it was something along. Jeremy, help me out here. Did you, did you, you see? You said it? a tabernacle is three k. There's no way a loader should be thirty six hundred for a playboy. No, you. I, I think it was something along the lines of. Oh, you want me to look it up? No. I just like misquoting people. It was a tabernacle is 3,000, a mox is 1,500, something has to give, and it sure as hell isn't going to be a tabernacle dropping in price. Yep. Right, and he and that's that's implying that the mox has to correct upwards. Um, similar to... Giving the, you all this free finance nugget, we can't live in a world where there are $3,000 tabernacles and only $1,500 unlimited moxen. Something will give and soon, and it won't be tabernacle crashing. Yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, we've definitely seen power trend upwards. Um, I tried to shop Channel Fireball on Friday for power. They had five pieces. I had them set one piece aside for me. I left to do something else, came back like 30 minutes later, and the four main pieces had sold. So I kind of regret telling Channel Fireball to not set all five pieces aside, because I would have just traded such ball for them all. So less and less there. Um, they had three cases full of like old school stuff, just from cheap things like unlimited lightning bolts all the way up to high end Arabian nights, antiquities, power, duels, etc. And they probably sold like roughly half of each case by the time uh, like mid Friday afternoon rolled around. Everyone Damn. came in quickly for their deals. Did you guys know Jihad is a six hundred dollar card at least. Yep. Jihad, I'm not. I know. I know. You know. You guys know. Jihad is a six hundred dollar card. It's nuts. It's nuts. The fuck is buying this card? Sick. He's buying it at five ninety five and then selling it for six oh three. I think Sig actually bought a Jihad. Sig, I know you listen to this cast, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you bought some some of that because in his re recent article, he like talked about a pseudo reserve list of cards that they're never going to reprint, and Jihad is one of them. It, Jihad, Army of Allah, and some other stuff. Is Jihad not actually on the reserve list? No, no, it is. Is it? It is. Oh, well, either way, it's on the pseudo reserve list because they're not going to reprint those cards. So. Along with Pope Hat and Albert Einstein, I'm sure. Presence of the Master, yeah. Um, so, like, these are my pickups. It's kind of hard to see, but... Uh, say Brass, this card just... Pro is this, like, well, this is, like, the one that has to be one of the most played cards in old school. Yep. Right? Because there's the mana fixing doesn't exist. Yep. Uh, so this is a pretty destroyed one. Channel Fireball had a near-mint one. They were asking 425 Canadian on. That's reasonable. That's yeah, that's really compared to Europe. That's reasonable. Yeah, um, I can't see what this card does. Transmute artifact. This card is just a perennial favorite. I wonder if this format yeah, so this crash. Yeah, so this is a GL that I purchased for three eighty. Uh, 
it can't crash because the people who can afford it, they will just they don't care what they're paying. Also, the two biggest old school events of the year haven't happened yet, which is SCG Con old school and then GP Vegas old school. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we're not in a bubble. Oh, I mean, I hope we're in a bubble as long as I'm not holding the cards when it pops. Yeah, like, I, mean, I guess it doesn't seem likely that you'd see like an across the board devaluation by like 70% of all of this type of so, stuff, yeah, but it still seems crazy. Like, all the people on Twitter that were buying old school from me for the last year and a half are now selling it, and I'm flying to pick up their collections. And like, that's the biggest sign of a bubble is people cashing out of $15,000 when, when they bought it for $1,000 last year. All right. Um, there, our audio is fine, but there's no way it's fine with you back there. So anyway, I think that old school is sort of in a bubble, but as long as I can flip the cards fast enough to keep making a profit and not be caught holding the last hot potato, I'm fine with it. Like, there's enough people that play this format, but the amount of people cashing out right now means prices are going to go down. And when I say a bubble, I mean an adjustment down 20% towards the end of December and not like a 70% devaluation in a month. I just think it'll go down to like 20% for a while after Vegas when stuff cools off and there's not really any big old school events for the rest of the year. And then it'll pick up next year when people get tax returns and they want to continue finishing their sets. So like for me, it's the prices are high, but as long as I can sell at a high price and then take that money and reinvest it in the summer when prices drop, I'm fine with it. So, so how would you differentiate the market just trending downwards as opposed to supposedly the bubble crashing, right? Because we've always, we've talked about this, like, we stop telling them you can hear them. We, we, we've talked about this like every year, right? Like summer magic is ruined forever. Yes. Magic, magic is dying. There's also that. Um, I haven't said that in a while. Yeah. Feels uh, good. Sales are good. But we'll we'll see people just start dumping stuff mainly because the people probably want to capitalize on vacation money for summer. People, you know, moving their money elsewhere or whatever. Um, and December is just pe same thing, right? People want vacation money. People need gift money. Um, like, how would how would we know that the demand for these old school cards, these cards are just spiking massively? I don't know. You're the professional, man. I just do this for fun. Like, you have. You have a much more vested position in the prices of cards and the volatility of cards than what Travis and I have invested portfolio-wise in Magic. So that's what matters. So, like, we all are making money by talking about Magic and, like, yeah, we've artificially caused, like, price spikes in the past, not on purpose, just by, like, talking about a card and then people listen and buy it out. All, they're all of mine are on purpose. Oh, well, mine are not, I'm, you know. Um, but for me, like, even if, like, the market crashes, like, I don't have all my money in Magic versus, like, some other people that are into the finance world of Magic or, like, or they're just making videos of them wearing, like, a booster pack on their head and screaming into the void. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's different. So, like, they, they have much bigger positions. They have a reason to say, like, hey, this is still going to continue, but like past results does not predict future returns in any market. And that's something to be aware of. Like Lotus can't increase another 1100% in, in, in the same amount of time, in my opinion, uh, from where it has been. So those returns that you're seeing now may not ever happen again in 
the history of Magic as a game where you'll get a 90% price increase that even though it levels off to a 60% price increase, that card may never spike at that rate again. So there's a lot of people that are just saying, you know what, I think it's a bubble because this, or I think this is the best percentage that I'm going to see in a long time. And they're selling out and they're not looking back. And I think that's the correct play, but I'm also stupidly buying all of their cards to try and flip them to another person. So I'm also investing my time and resources into trying to also make money off of it. Um, but it really depends on what you bought in it and how much you have invested because your portfolio, <coughs> if you see this game as an investment, shouldn't be all of your money, but obviously the returns can be good. Um, I don't know. I just always feel weird about magic. Like, sure, like I have like a licensed business to sell magic cards, but you know, at the end of the day, it's just magic cards and it's not like actual money or bonds or stuff that's solid. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I love to ramble. You got some of that. I mean, that's a position you can take, but for a lot of our listeners, you can say it's not real money, but $600 for a jihad is very real money. Right, but for our listeners, they shouldn't be spending $600 on a jihad. They should be spending it on better ROI or like a better investment opportunity. And that's what we preach all along is investing money smartly. And I think we can all agree that spending $400 on a jihad even is not worth it unless you already know someone who's going to buy it from you. Well, yeah, yeah. I just mean like... The amount of money at play with a lot of this is definitely a significant sum of money, regardless of the card, for most of our listeners. Yeah. It's not like they have 300 grand in stocks that makes all of this look silly in comparison. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, every, every time we talk about magic is investing, like, make sure everything else is getting paid, your 401k is getting maxed, and then invest in magic. And I think that a lot of people are seeing an opportunity to pay off their student loans or something with old school that, like, they... They bought these cards for cheap last year. Like Juice MG was seventy dollars at Vegas, and now it's like a thousand. Um, and they're just like, "Hey, that's an extra nine hundred dollars, and I can use it on medical bills, or I can use it on a vacation. Like, why do I need to hold this card?" My four hundred one k plan is four hundred and one k plans. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. It's just interesting because, like, as Ed said, like I've met a lot of old school players who, and like even people that are vice or like presidents of big card companies like just straight up spending thousands and thousands of dollars on old school cards from me but at the same time there's all these new old school or all these old school players who started the format that that number for them to sell out is finally there and they're cashing out so it's just something to keep in mind because um some of the less like played multi-format old school cards could just see significant drops because they're only played in old school but so far the market has not shown that in all of Ed's credit has just kept going up. Have we been here for an hour? We've or... been here for 40 minutes or so. All right, so we have to do another question. Plow's not loud right Pick now. A little oh, yeah, all right, well, go ahead, go ahead. So, I, so one of the things that kind of bothers me with how finance has been trending is... Uh, Clickbait. <laughs> what? Um, is the, Very professional over here. Is, <laughs> Peanut gallery laying on the bed in the background. Um, I I don't think people are fully understanding things like, like what is a bubble? People keep saying it. People just describe everything as a bubble, but like, is the market actually in a bubble? I'm not sure it is. The way this camera is framed, we're gonna watch Jeremy start clickbaiting it himself in a couple minutes here. <laughs> like. <laughs> Jeremy's just gonna die back there. I don't. I'm I, so tired. Wah. Someone uh, says my head needs to be shinier. What? <laughs> <laughs> right, like when we think of like 
traditional bubbles, right? Like the most recent bubble uh, is uh, what am I? What? Don't show it to Adam. He's in the middle of talking. Show it to me. Uh, you're. Wait, Dude, I I, there's just paragraphs and paragraphs of words. Brandon Matthew says, y'all need to stop using the phrase bubble. It's not a bubble when there is downward pressure from adjustable rates to pop it. The only thing that would crash prices is a max exit of, of players. Current climate is just prices. Uh, you're saying, yeah, prices adjusting yeah. to what kids who grew up can now afford on cardboard. Yeah, but you can still have a cascade effect upwards in price that is uh, that then reverses course. Right, like it is possible to have that. Yeah, all I'm saying is that like we may not see another ninety percent jump in a price for old school. And like if you were theoretically thinking about cashing out and not waiting another year for it to go up another like ten to twenty percent, there's people doing that right now. Oh, here's a good one. What MTG cards are worth money? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Are you finished your thought, Ed? I I, I wanna look at these. It, 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 I my thoughts just gone. I don't even know what I was talking about anymore. We were talking about like a bubble. Uh, the most recent bubble that we like that people can think about is the 2008 House. housing market crash, right? And like it was, there are there are many simple similar symptoms that people can say like you know this is this is the analogy between magic and the housing market, but it it's hard to say until we're on the other side, right? You you can't clearly say this is a bubble until you actually look back and and. Notice, like you know, the crashing market where when everyone was just like cows were getting foreclosed because people just couldn't afford their property to to keep to keep living in their house, right? That was quite literally people's like problem at that point, right? A, a ridiculous number of houses just got foreclosed because people were just buying them. People were buying up houses left and right. Property was just skyrocketing, and then like two thousand nine, like most houses were devalued, like anywhere from like fifty to eighty percent of what mar the market said their house was worth. A year ago, um, and it, I just don't see how that can be the case with magic because we we know what the reserve list looks like, and like it's you know it's it's there say like I don't again I don't want to make this a discussion about the reserve list, but like what could possibly happen that that I, puts any sort of downward pressure on magic cards? I guess what I see is a possibility, and this is not to say that it will happen, but I'm just trying to building a scenario and scenario in my head. Is we've seen a pretty hard run up on a lot of these reserve lists at 93 old school magic type cards. So you've seen prices increase anywhere from like 50 to what 2,000 percent on some of this stuff. So people who had them and were building decks are now finding that what they spent a thousand dollars on is now worth 15 or 25 grand going well damn i just made enough to buy a car i'm going to sell this this deck but if you reach if you kind of reach this fevered pitch where all of these cards have gotten so expensive and a lot of people are looking at the format and deciding to sell you have to have communities for this format to work right like you can't be the only guy in your area playing this because you, then you're not playing it so if you lose one or two people in an area because they sell their deck because it's worth so much money, then your local scene can fall apart. And then that everyone in that scene sells their cards. And now you have people like reversing back out of the format, trying to dump their stuff because like their scene falls apart. And then you might leave people with a bad taste in their mouth afterwards. Like prices would come down so that they could theoretically buy back in, but they're like, oh, I don't want to get involved in 93. Like, that you know, I lost a bunch of money, or like I made my money, I'm done with it. Like essentially, you could build. People could end up with a mental block that prevents them from wanting to buy back in, even when it got cheap again. 
So uh, this is just one possible way I think it could play out is like essentially it gets high enough, people start selling, communities collapse because you're losing several players that are cashing out and then that br brings the whole market down uh, and then nobody buys back in because of that's just people. Okay, so my counter argument to that would be this isn't necessarily just you, you you say like communities like building on this so i don't know like this is purely anecdotal right but like jeremy like you can maybe enlighten us on like you have so many different customers because you've been trying to build an old school base yeah. like what is your scale of customers i imagine like you like you you talking to us earlier at dinner today you have customers who are like building sets they just want like complete sets of all these cards like but you have people who are just just transitioning from like maybe legacy players, modern players, you just kind of want to start moving into vintage into old school. And I imagine there's a lot of overlap because you have, you know, if you have a vintage deck, you have old school, basically have an old school deck, right? I imagine not every player who plays vintage at your store, who plays old school at your store has like a $15,000 deck. You probably have people who are on budget variants where they haven't, can't afford that last piece or two pieces of power. Right, or they started halfway and then it spiked and then they gave up and sold all the cards, which is what we're seeing a lot of. So I get, It's like, oh, I bought everything but a Chaos Orb. I'm not going to spend $700 for a point Chaos Orb. I'm just going to sell everything else. So like that's one instance where like cards are being added to the market, but yeah. that... There just isn't a lot of them, it feels like, mainly because I feel like the demand is far, far, far higher than what the supply is right now. And not right now. Right. Yeah. Not not just because of buyouts, but right, like we, we talked about uh print runs like a few weeks ago. There was like a whole question about that and we talked about it extensively. But um just going around I had to mention to someone because I think we had like an Alpha Ruby that we were trying to move. Right, alpha rares. There's eleven hundred of them. Yeah, like worldwide. Like just they like just think of the scale of like magic players. Think about the scale of people who can who want to play vintage, people who can afford vintage, and people who own alpha power at that point. Right, like obviously it's such a small percentage, but eleven hundred is not a large number. Right, like it's not hard to visualize what eleven hundred magic cards look like. Right, like this is this box is six. 700, right? Because I think, like, this, these are meant for sports. That's players, probably like, how many remaining Alpha Mox Rubies can fit in that box that weren't destroyed or thrown out. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, this is this is not a lot of Alpha Mox Rubies. Like, obviously, if I had all of them, like, that would be a lot of money. But, think like, just trying to distribute this out worldwide, there really aren't that many out there. Just And think of, like, the rares that people, like, actively disregarded as being, like, bad. Right? That are, you know, insane. Web. Like, was it? Web. That's a bad example. That card doesn't see playing old school, does it? That's the point, is there's none of them, and I still sold an alpha web for, like, a ton of money because it's an right. alpha web. Right. Because it's a rare. Um, but, like, 1,100 really isn't a lot to go around, and even if you take the next step to beta, that's 1,100 to 3,300? Yeah. Yep. Like, it's still not a lot. 32, 33. Yeah, 32 or 33, right? That is... That's a three-row box. Yeah. Right, which is... Three, three rows of 1,000 count. That's still not a lot to go around. And while Alpha and Beta are like purely aesthetic things compared to Unlimited, which you know most people would look at in terms of utility, uh, the amount to go around for people is not a lot. And I imagine while there are people out there who are like just definitely like stashing these away or they just have a ton, there's just far, far, far less to go around than what people actually 
like just want to have available again because I think there's a lot more demand for old school. Um, like how's Birmingham? Because you were here last week, like in, in terms in terms of old school. Like insane. Old- the old school event also was insane, and old school demand was insane. It was crazy. Yeah. Again, like this is purely and old. Take this how you will. Um, I've had no problems moving a lot of these cards from cheap things like uh, I just like unlimited lightning bolts, unlimited card spells. Those are definitely staples, but those fly off again because they're cheap. People are allowed to play them. But if you scale it up, like Alpha Counter Spell is pushing like six hundred dollars now for one, and it did not near a mint, not gradable, but like a, like a, a thousand, decent, right? What, what? Alpha Counter Spell? Yeah. For for near mint one, like a true a near, yeah, for yeah. A true near gradable ones. But you can find them six hundred, like probably will get you a played one. But yep. they're disappearing fast, and you're just trying upwards for something that is clipped differently and in black border, yep. and obviously more rare. But it just goes to show that like people are still paying these prices. And tomorrow, people will continue to pay these prices. All right. That's probably a good place to wrap up the cast. All right. Where can people find you guys? Uh, at Edwin13 on Twitter. Here in Toronto tomorrow on site. As I don't know where they're going to be. I'll be uh, on site all day. I'll be on site all day. I'll probably be on site most of the day. Um, I'll be in Roanoke next weekend. Uh, Star State Regionals in Syracuse two weeks after that. And GP Copenhagen. Oh, I'll be there too. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm being so so tired of seeing you. (laughs) You guys won't be on site all day because we have to go get brunch. Oh, right. That's true. We'll be on site most of the day. After brunch. I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-B-P-I-N. I I write for MTG Price, the Watchtower series every Monday. I also do the podcast, MTG Fast Finance. I'm Jeremy. You can blame me because this cast won't be uploaded together in Magic until Wednesday because I don't have a laptop. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, congrats. You are ahead of the curve. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I think I just said at Missouri MTG. I will be at GP Toronto most day tomorrow. Um, I will be at uh, <laughs> uh, GP DC next week. I will be at GP Copenhagen the week after that. I will be at GP Vegas the week after that. And then I will be hosting a 5K for charity at one of my places. Uh, it's modern, so don't go. But if you want to see me, come sell me cards, because we have cartel listeners coming to do that. You can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on Facebook at cartel aristocrats. You can find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, mtgcast.com, and uh, Snapchat. Thanks for watching, guys, and we'll see you next week. And if you want to go ahead and click that big red button, have a good one, guys. And, uh, hey.